Hello and welcome to At The Source. I'm Alex and this is Karis. This is a podcast about food stories. We love talking about food. And eating it. And now we're on a mission to record and share interesting food stories from people all over the UK and beyond. Join us as we explore food in all its glory. Welcome to At The Source. Paul Couchman is, in his words, a historic food creator, a term we love. He runs cookery classes and dining events at the Grade 1 listed Historic Townhouse and Museum, Regency Townhouse, in Hove, and writes a blog called Cook Like a Servant. We first came across him on Twitter and love that he's working hard bringing to life the food of the past. Paul, thank you for having us here in your wonderful Georgian kitchen below stairs at the Regency Townhouse. We are so excited and we've actually just had a fantastic tour. I feel like we've kind of been peeking behind the scenes where we shouldn't be. It's incredible. So although we're keen to jump straight into questions about everything from 19th century pickles to blazed pippins and seed cake, we have to start with our classic introductory question. What is your first memory of food? Well, I had a, a really good think about this and it's a bit traumatic, actually, I'm afraid oh, to no. say. It might be. So it's, it's, so I was tiny. I had to meet my brother my mother at home and we're tucking into one of those um, full containered um, beef dinners. Do you remember them? I don't know. They're, I think they're frozen. Um, sort of roasted in a, in a, in a tin. Oh. <laughs> and the door opened and my father came in. My father was a vegetarian and so he didn't want us eating meat. And so the dinner was put away in the bin. Um, and we were all feeling guilty. And I remember my father being really upset and annoyed. And that really is my first food memory. And it's quite, you know, it's almost like, you know, enjoying food but not being able to or not being allowed to. So, I mean, maybe that's the start of why I do what I do. Did you have something else for your dinner? I can't remember this. That's as far as the memory goes. I just remember that trauma and and my mother, you know, throwing things away very quickly. It's really interesting that your dad was a vegetarian. Yeah. Because that's... It's quite unusual. He he didn't like... He he was very sensitive and he didn't want, like, animal cruelty. And I remember... He used to play cricket, and we used to go in the car to the cricket ground. He used to point to all the sheep in the sheep in the fields and say, "Look, they're going to be killed. They're going to be killed." Oh, wow, <laughs> that's quite dark. <laughs> that is the most traumatic intro that we've ever. Had. Oh, sorry, I'm sorry. That's all right. I'm going to have different ones. That is the far as back as I can remember. So that is really the first one. How old do you think you were then? I must have been three or four, I guess. But wow. you know, I must have been very, very young. Because I remember the old kitchen, we moved the kitchen at some point, so it was a tiny space. So after that, you had this traumatic experience. Yeah. When did you really start getting into food? So my mum was a terrible cook. I hope she doesn't mind me saying that. She's great now. She loves food now, and they go to restaurants all the time, but she was terrible at cooking. Um, Love you, mum. <laughs> yeah, yeah. She was a nurse. She was, you know, she was caring for other people, doing a wonderful job. So it wasn't from her. It's more from my aunt. So I had this wonderful French aunt called Francoise that... Loved cooking, and every time I went round them to see my cousin, there would the amazing, most amazing things would appear. So they'd come back to France with cheeses, with um, beautiful pancakes, with jams, with mint cordial, all this stuff that I just hadn't seen before. And I loved it. And I think that's what, you know, you get these fantasies about living. You know, I always wanted to move in for <laughs> <laughs> this amazing food. I think I to move in too. <laughs> so they, they were highlights. They were like these highlight moments in my life, you know, this of this food. And also at my grand's, my grand would make sponges um, and, and beautiful milk puddings. I mean, have milk pudding. It's mm. quite old-fashioned. Um, and trifles. And all of this wonderful Classics. food. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I think at one time she said, we're not going to have 
um, any dinner today. We're just going to have puddings. Wow. She sounds like a dream <laughs> gran. She sounds like everyone's dream gran. So she made cakes and puddings and jellies, and, and that's all we ate that, that, that tea time. It was and then like... she shipped you off back to your parents, and you were bouncing off the walls. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, indeed. <laughs> so honing this question further, sure. when did you first discover your love for historic food and recipe creation? And that's really come from the space that I've shown you today. So I work at a restoration project and we helped, a team of us, we helped put the kitchen back together again. Now food's always been in the background of my life, always, but historic food was only when the kitchen was finished. And you get this wonderful space that's finished, that's plastered, that's ready, and there was no, um, there was no aim for it, there was no goal, there was no um, purpose for the room. And so I just went down and I thought, I'm going to cook in this space. So at one, I think it was Christmas, yeah, we, we made mince pies. So I took, there was nothing in the kitchen. Um, we took a few tables down and I started baking mince pies there. Wow. And what, were, what recipe were you using for that? Um, I used um, Eliza Acton's recipe, which is really good mince meat, if you ever come across that. I mean, it's, it's a really nice recipe, really good recipe. Um, I do it on my courses as well, I use the same recipe. So it, it so was literally being in that space, yeah. surrounded by the history of this beautiful house, and you just thought... I need to do what people were doing yep. in here. So I had a table and an oven and um, everything else I bought from home. Wow. And to be there in that space for the first time alone, because no one was working with me at the time, making these pies, it's just quite magical, actually. Because you think of all these other people that have done the same thing in the same space with the same recipe. Mm. And that's what started, also that's what started me thinking about food courses, because I thought if I'm enjoying this experience, there's going to be other people Absolutely. who are going to really enjoy this as well. I mean, you've seen downstairs, if you work there and you look up through the skylight, you see the same view that would have the servants who work there would have seen. Nothing's changed. Mm. You know, the sky looks the same, the buildings are in the same places, and that's magical. One of the things that we were saying when the three of us were, were um, first came into the kitchen was the... The fact that you can go to National Trust properties, which I adore, um, and you can go to old places where the the rooms have been dressed or they've been kind of made to look like a certain period. But there aren't many places where you can actively engage in the the same activities that were happening. And I think that's what's really magical about what you're doing, is that you're actually cooking in this kitchen, which has been um, renovated and brought back to its original... Oh, I love it. I'm, I'm nerding out, Karis. You do yeah, the next question. I need to have a moment. <laughs> <laughs> so based on all of that, you started a series of events, I guess you'd call it, uh, called Dine Like a Servant. Yes. How did, you, how did you say, how did you come up with that idea and how did you decide what format it would have and, yeah. and, and what it would involve? So we played around with ideas. Basically, we needed an event to raise money. We had somebody doing something called the Bookish Supper Club here, which um, was great for her because she made loads of money. But she, we got about, I don't know, we got 60, 80 quid from it, you know. Oh. And, and we thought, well, was, you know, she's charging people, you know, and all these people are coming and paying for food and for um, entertainment. Um, she's probably doing really well out of it. She stopped doing them. And so I thought, let's fill in that gap. And let's do a food event um, and we can dress up as servants (laughs) (laughs) and we can serve the food that the servants would have eaten. Um, I'll I'll come on to that, too, because I was trying to say, oh, yeah. Um, Go for it. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it's tricky. Um, The first thing people ask me when I say I was done like a servant, they say, what did servants eat? You know, surely it's just like 
porridge or pap or something. But of course, in um, a house like this, um, when you're cooking to excess, there's loads of leftovers. There is no Ooh, way. Leftovers. Yeah, and good leftovers. I mean, there's no way that the people up here could eat what they um, had on the tables. And they really didn't. So the food just went downstairs. And there's a pecking order downstairs, as you probably know from Downton Abbey. You've got this hierarchy. So the best food goes to the butler, the cook and the housekeeper. It works its way down the servant household. So they all get a taste of this food. So that's the idea from the... Um, for the event anyway but just to finish off where the food goes i mean we're sitting now and um, at the back of the house um just behind us in that street there is all the poor so any leftovers that the servants wouldn't have eaten would have gone to the poor as well so food wasn't wasted it was it, it went to people it's and the, the poverty yeah we, original zero waste exactly yeah and the people were literally you know a few um few minutes away over there and that's where the food went so there was none of this you know big chain of food things it it, it was it kept very, it, it all kept very close together so don like a seven the name that came from um come dine with me it's a, it's a twist on that because i love that program oh, it's one of my favorites isn't it yeah I, I can't i can't stand reality tv but i can sit down and watch come dine with me all day it's just so funny yeah so i twisted that to make something that was memorable because when well, you're in marketing you've got to have a, a you know you've got to have a concept and there's a hashtag and people are like it rings yeah. that, you know, they mm. know it now. We've been doing it about, I think it's 18 months now. I do one every two months. And they get themed now as well. So. so what kind of thing are the guests eating? So the guests, they get free courses. Um, there's usually some sort of soup. Oh, we start with a drink. So if, if you were a guest, you come in and you have one of the main entertaining spaces where there's a big mixing bowl that's full with punch and they get that to drink as a sort of icebreaker to get to know each other mm. then they all go either upstairs or into the kitchen and they um they start on free courses so yeah, yeah there's a soup there's usually a pie actually i love doing pies love making pies and i do things like flummeries and, and all those sort of odd, odd syllabubs and things that people would have eaten but it's very much based on what i think or what we know actually that people in these houses ate and do your guests ever dress up yeah, they do sometimes. Do they? I mean, you, have you heard? I mean, Zach's all over the place now. There's a guy called Zach Pinsent who dresses up as a BBC yep. gentleman all the time. He's a tailor. And he's been all over BBC at the moment. So he's come a few times. Um, and that's brilliant. So he, does he doesn't the even have to think about it. It's just what he wears normally. It's exactly. Yeah, yeah. And he does a toast to the king and everything. And it's just, people love it. So, yeah, we do get occasionally people coming in dressed as models. And we really encourage it, of course. And also, we're all dressed up. Yeah. Mm. So all the staff dress up. And we usually we read bits and recipes and bits from books out, you know, in between just to give people a taste of the, um, you know, things people are talking about and, and you know, ideas of why the, where the menus come from. Because, mm. I, like I said, I feed them. So sometimes it's about curry. We did a curry evening once. And so that, that was interesting. People didn't think, you know, 18th century curry, you know. There, there's yeah. a, lot, a lot of interesting information to tell people about that. So we hope they get educated when they come here as well, just a little bit, not... Not terribly. It's fun, but they're also learning a bit. They're also learning by osmosis. They leave and they don't realise they've learnt stuff. Exactly. Best way. And food is a great way of Mm -hmm. teaching people things. Absolutely. Tell me. Yeah. Your perfect Regency Georgian three-course meal. The one. Oh yeah. Let me go through the one I like the most. Then. I mean, the one I really like because it's got stories. I like food with stories to it. So we do our Marie Antoinette soup a lot. Mm-hmm. So this is um, reputedly the soup she ate just before she went to the guillotine. So it's Ooh. a chicken broth. <laughs> her final <supper>. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, we serve her final supper. So that's Mary, Mary Antoinette's soup. <laughs> so I'd serve that. Um, 
I'd serve, um, I did them for Halloween. I'm, I, they're basically they're pork pies. They're raised pork pies, but we call them coffins because that's what they used to call them because they're a bit coffin shaped. <laughs> it's very dark this meal. <laughs> so, so we have raised coffins, <laughs> which I quite like. Um, and I think I'll probably do the Halloween pudding as well for start for the finish, um, which is um, a pumpkin pie from Amelia Simmons, who's the, an American cook. She cooked in the 18th century, and it's really people who don't like pumpkin pie love it. Really nice pumpkin pie with a filling and um, obviously cinnamon maize, those sort of fillings yeah. in it as well. I can't remember what else. It's a sort of milky concoction that it's 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 a lovely pudding. So that's those are the, those are the three things I do. But I've got so many to choose from now. You've got a whole repertoire yeah. of stuff yeah. to, to pick out from. But those are the ones I like because they've all got strong stories to them. Talking of your repertoire, uh, having had a look at at, um, at the blog and at the website, there's yeah. a couple of dishes which caught our eye. So ribboned hippocras jellies with oh. white flummery. What what on earth is that? Yeah, yeah, hippocras. Um, it's basically a spice mix, so a wine uh, mix, um, which you then put into jelly. Okay. So I can't remember what goes into it. There's about eight things in it. I think some. I think one of them is cinnamon. I think it's nutmeg. I think actually there's long pepper. Do you have heard of long pepper? I keep mm. telling everyone about long pepper. Yeah. So yeah. this is them showing their wealth through exactly. the different spices that they've got to... Yeah, and, and long the... pepper was in use long before the black peppercorns that we... Yes. And also today. a replacement for chilli, because chilli came later, so it has mm. that spicy pungentness of some of the softer chilies, not the really hot ones, but... Mm. Um, but they made it in... Actually, the hypocrisy that comes from the... It's a sort of medieval thing, so it covers like fruit, but... In this version, we make it into a jelly, and we, we have a little glass, and we have layers of flummery, which is also a sort of jelly with almonds in it. And I think it's got rose water as well. Oh, lovely. And what you have to do, and it takes ages, but it's fun with lots of people, but um, you have to make one tiny thin ribbon layer, and then let that set, and pour another tiny thin ribbon layer, oh. and let it set. And you keep going, keep going. It takes about two hours for those thin layers to set. To, um, to set. But it does look really cool. Um, they liked it really um, like a factory, like, you know, stripes. But I tend to make it a bit wibbly now because it looks a bit more handmade because mm. you can tip the glass and stuff. Mm. And, yeah, it's fab. It takes ages, but it's a lovely it's a lovely thing to do. It looks amazing. That Anyway, that's that one. I've got another one. Okay. Fanchonettes. <laughs> oh, and yes, I love these. <laughs> what are they? <laughs> well, I, did, I just checked on the Portuguese. You've got these, you know, these little Portuguese tarts? Yes. Pastel de nata. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so those custard tarts. It's got, um, it's a pastry case with custard in it. But on top of that, you put meringue. Oh, so it's a bit like God. lemon pie. It's got some <laughs> flavourings in there. I think you put a bit of lemon zest in on the lemon juice. So it's got a sort of light lemon oh, taste to it. Oh, that sounds amazing. Um, and you can put some pistachios on the top as well once you've done it. But it's a three-stage bake, so you have to bake the bottom, you have to bake the middle, bake the meringue. So it takes a little time. A lot of these recipes do sound like they were very time-consuming. Do you know what? I and mean, that's what's really interesting about that. Um, if you're wealthy... You want you would want dishes that took a long time. I, B. Wilson talks beautifully about this, the the cookery writer. But anything that was pulverized before the um, age of machinery would take somebody would have to do it. Mm -hmm. And so anything that was that was pulpy or you know like we throw things in the liquidizer now, mm -hmm. anything like that had high status until machines could do it, and then it lost the status completely. And so people don't want. I mean, it's quite the opposite now. People don't want. Um, um, liquidised things now because everyone knows it's really easy to do mm. so you want something that's rough and textured and mm. so taste change according to um, P. 
things like status and snobbery. You know, mm-hmm. if you if you have to have someone downstairs whipping egg whites, you know, for hours, you know, that's showing off, isn't it? So if you come up with all these beautiful whips and um, concoctions, yeah. it, it, people know it costs money in that period. But it's now, of course, it's done in a jiffy. So that's the difference. Yeah, yeah. Don't think about it that way, I don't think. You'd sort of, oh, yeah, just that, whatever. And the way we think about it now, we can't, because we don't know any different, we can't imagine that actually it probably would have taken hours to, to beat up a meringue. Some of the recipes say um, um, beat until um, one person can't beat anymore. Wow. <laughs> And in those days, <laughs> you know, that it would could be an hour. Be a while. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But it's okay because you've got another whole one. army of kitchen stuff to, to take carry over on and your arm has withered away. I've <laughs> seen, I've you wouldn't wither away; you'd have massive guns. <laughs> but I've seen beat for an hour as a recipe. You know, in, in the recipe. Can where, you imagine? Where are you finding your recipes? Um, what's brilliant about this period as well, the 18th century, early 19th, is there were so many cookery books. So, I mean, I've got so many sources. I haven't shown you yet, and we're going to have to imagine it's on the table here now, but there is an original manuscript cookbook book that I have um, that somebody found in a charity shop and donated to me. Um, and it's handwritten. It's basically, as we do now, we collect recipes. Um, they would have an exercise book and write them over from other books. So they're not original recipes, but they are an original collection. It's someone's collection. Yeah, and we don't know who. It's a mystery. We know it's about the period of the house. We know it's about 1820. And it's a beautiful object. It's got beautiful pages, beautiful copper plates, handwriting. Um, I want to use more of it um, for my blog in the future. So that's going to be a future project. Because I want to go out and find more of these books because they exist. There's lots of them. And someone found that in a charity shop. And gave it to me, yeah. She saw us on Instagram because we've got... Mm. I'm quite active on Instagram. And she saw us on Instagram and said, I've got this book, would you like it? And she turned up. With a shopping trolley, <laughs> full first with jelly moulds, which she gave. These, oh, these were all amazing. F- and we thought downstairs. Um, and then she, at the very end, she pulled out this book and she said, I thought you might like to have this too. And of course, I just, you know, oh. it's so precious. It smells of the past, you oh, know, and, yes. and feels like the past. And mm. of course, it tastes like the past if I make the stuff. Mm. What's the hardest part when you say some of the recipes in that book, for example? What's the hardest part about deciphering old recipes? Uh, where do you where do you start? Aside from handwriting, <laughs> yeah. aside from handwriting, Hand, handwriting's not too bad because a lot of them are transcribed anyway, so that's great. So I haven't got I haven't got into that yet. I will do. You can get courses to learn how to write, read the writing, and be fabulous. But the two um, issues I like to talk about, um, one's really interesting. You've probably heard this because it's been on the news about wine glass sizes. So if it says a glass of wine in a Georgian cookbook, a glass of wine in a Georgian cookbook, um, if I remember, I think it's 75 mil, I might be wrong. It's quite small. It was tiny. And now it's, I think the biggest glass is now 375, I don't know, 415. It's massive. And these lovely graphs you can see where they've graphed up the size of wine glasses. Well, I had a glass of wine last night with our meal and it was 175 mil and that was a small glass That's a small glass, yeah. So that's 100 mil bigger than... Yeah than a Georgian glass of wine. So if you see in a recipe a glass of wine, you have to bear that in mind. Eggs is another thing that's changed. So eggs are about uh, two-thirds bigger. So you have to top down that as well. So if you see a recipe, you have to change the egg sizes. But uh, what I always get people saying coming up to me and saying, well, these Georgian recipes, they can't taste any good, can they? And, <laughs> yeah, the whole point is people people's tastes haven't changed that much. And so most of the recipes, almost all of the recipes, taste amazing when you make them. It's not, you know, there's no... Uh, you know, we haven't altered the way we eat. Mm. And if you think about different countries as well, apart from very odd things, 
it's food is a great way of uniting people. I think across time and across place. Mm. You know, because the taste we have is is something that tends to unite most people. Mm. Yeah, yeah, and and that's definitely true with the past. Do you like to make it as close to the recipe and then? try and make the equivalent of a modern so you talked about the fanchonettes you know there would be an equivalent of of that i guess and it's probably it's probably sweeter or something and then sort of decide which you think is better i do sometimes yeah i have to do that i sometimes have to alter it because it is too sweet some of the recipes are very 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 sweet for our taste so that yeah that is a concern because people people's sugar tastes have changed slightly mm. But not all the time. I mean, some of the some of the biscuits and some of the um, the um, the cakes are fine, absolutely fine. You know, I, we haven't touched a thing on them. Mm. We've got this lovely book um, for Jane Austen's housekeepers. Uh, Jane Austen's housekeeper. Yeah, she's got a cookery book that's very good. There's a plum cake in there, and we just make it as it is, and it's really it's the best fruit cake I've ever had. It's absolutely amazing. I think we're going to have to have some kind of fruitcake off because <laughs> because over the last little while, the number of people have been talking about fruitcakes and you just kind of go, yours can't be the best because they said theirs is the best. <laughs> so I think that would be a great competition to have. In fact, Sam Bilton was talking ah. um, about, she has a, a, a book of recipes that were noted down by her great aunt Eliza. Uh, and there's a plum cake recipe in there. And she makes that as as it was. And I think she said that... Those recipes date back to like the eighteen, I think eighteen seventy one. It's a very specific memory, and I might be wrong. I think it was, that was um, the the year of the almanac. That the, was, the notes were yeah. written in, but she said the same thing as you in that actually that recipe from then is perfect for now. Indeed, indeed. And she makes it. No, Sam, because Sam complimented me on my pastry because she came to one of the open days here and had I think she had a fanchonette. And she said, the pastry's lovely. So I was so pleased when Sam said that. <laughs> it's lovely when people you really respect mm. say lovely things about you. So thank yeah. you thank you for that, Sam, if you're listening. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Have you noticed any trends? So maybe Georgian food trends that are coming back? Or Ooh. any sort of historical food trends that sort of things are popping back and you go, hmm, been there, done that. Yeah, I mean, there were two things I thought about. One is the pie. Um, there's an amazing place in Holborn. Have you seen them? They've got amazing Instagram. Oh. So there's a restaurant in Holborn um, where they have a pie room, and he's got all the pie molds, um, and it's absolutely amazing. Oh, that's so they've recreated a sort of, um, I don't know, a pie room. So all these um, uh, copper pie molds he's got all lined up as a sort of library. Can you think what this place is called? It, it, no, I mean, if you go, yeah, but we'll it's Pie Room it Holborn. Okay. And he's great, the chef that does it. And he teaches people how to make pies in the old-fashioned way. So they're raised pies, raised pies. with hot water uh, paste. So it's, it's, it's similar to the, um, to the Georgian recipes. And he goes back into the old recipes. Okay. So that's a real trend. Um, it's interesting, isn't it? People want to go back to these old-fashioned yeah. things at the moment. I think with instability and, and not, you know, the politically bad times, mm. people want to go back to things they know, and a pie is, you know, independable. Mm. The other thing um, that's really trendy at the moment is fermentation. Mm. Um, I looked through my book at one point, um, and I found this amazing recipe, and it said, leave, leave next to the um, cooker for two days. And I thought, well, that can't be right. Mm. I got into fermentation, and I realised, well, that's, that's just fermenting. Mm. That's incredible because yeah. that is not something that you associate with Georgian or you know any real cookery of the past. I always imagine that fermentation in this country, at least, is pretty new. 
I don't know about that. I mean, you had to keep things when there was no refrigeration. So things like pickling and... Um, what happens though, which is interesting with fermentation, you get fermentation starting, vinegaring or that whole pickling takes mm. over fermentation. Mm. Oh, okay. And we're getting fermentation coming back. So they're two different processes. Yeah. And vinegar sterilises really, whereas fermentation, the good gut bacteria are still the bacteria. in there. Yeah. Whereas the vinegar will kill it. So you're getting a similar taste, but yeah. you're not getting the goodness in it. And now we're going back to that goodness that they would have known. Because the, the taste you get from fermented cucumber, for example, compared to pickled, is very different. It's very, mm-hmm. it's very mild. It's, it, it tastes very, very different to pickled cucumber. Mm-hmm. So it's really worth, for me, if you ever get a chance to taste the two next to each other, it's really interesting. Okay. But I just sort of, I always mm. consider them as, as things that are they're preservative methods. And like you look at um, sauerkraut. Sauerkraut. You know, that's been around for how long? Oh, yeah, well, it's right. yeah, absolutely. But would it have been around in this country? That was my point. Well, I'm sure there was plenty of <gasps> Germans coming over here. But the point is, I don't think it's, a, it's ever been a new uh, thing. Maybe. It, well, I think it stopped. I think that's why... I think right. it, there was a period where it wasn't done so much, yeah. you know, and people went off it. I mean, I know sauerkraut was never really trendy. They call it kraut now, don't they? They've renamed that's it, rebranded trendy. it. And it, Have they? Yeah. Oh, it's trendy. It's always going to be sauerkraut to me. <laughs> and they sell it for... This is the whole thing. That's why I did I did a course on it, because they sell it for £5 for, or four fifty for a small jar. Yeah. It is crazy. And it's nothing... It's just a, it's just cabbage. I mean, there isn't much else as salt, water. There isn't much else in it. It doesn't... You know, if you make it yourself, it takes... Um, when I did the course, it took about eight days to make, mm. and that's it. I make my own kimchi. There you go. Because um, me and I are half it's a bit hard. of a Korean food, Korean food nuts, and the amount that you will pay for kimchi, yeah. trendy, artisanal kimchi, it's ridiculous, and it is, it's just cabbage, fish, fish sauce, cheese, leave it in the cupboard for two months. The thing, the thing that's expensive with um, commercial ki- cooking, obviously, is time. Mm-hmm. You know, you know, you see it with bread. Obviously, if you make your own sourdough, it takes a while, but you've got the time, but they haven't mm. because they want everything to be on um, as fast as possible. And fermentation is the same thing. Yeah. So m- making stuff yourself, making your own yogurt, all these things are going to be cheaper because yeah. you've yeah. got the time. I have a feeling we'll be discussing fermentation in greater detail on the way home today. <laughs> now, can you tell us a bit more about the other events slash classes you hold downstairs in the kitchen yeah i mean i've touched on a lot of them already i mean so i've, I've done a fermentation course at christmas this is fab <laughs> at christmas we do a christmas pudding workshop and we do it with a pudding cloth oh. so, so the pudding cloth is basically newfangled technology in the 17th century so it's a way of making a sweet pudding because you have a cloth that encloses, encloses it instead of a skin of an animal as in for example haggis or a sausage mm. they're all puddings true but once you've got this cloth, you can start experimenting with sweet things. And so there's, this ho- there's a whole load of sweet puddings that come out of it. And one of them is Christmas pudding. And so we actually cut out cloths and make tiny Christmas puddings and steal them down there. And it's lovely to get your hands on the, on, on the stuff. You um, have a, a, a sort of cloth that you have to rub in with flour and then you put the mix onto it and tie it up with string. And it's lovely to do. They're hands-on. People love it. So there's, it, it, it's, a, it's a big course to do. Because it's love. And you'll be running it again this year. Oh, absolutely. And we do mincemeat at the same time. So we go back to what we, how we started with Eliza Acton's mincemeat. That has come full circle. And that's now included as part of my courses. That must be really lovely for you because that's where your historic food journey started, was here in yep. Regency Townhouse making those mince pies. And now you're sharing it with other people. Exactly. It's a really lovely story, isn't it? I agree. What sorts of things do you 
see yourself doing in oh, the future? Very good question. Um, there's a few ideas. I want to somehow get a cookery book out and I might be really um, clever and just do it very, a very small leaflet or something just to do something because I know people always want books done and you want it done in a particular way and you never do it and I want to kind of do it somehow. I've, I've got a great artist friend called Darwin who could do the illustrations and I want to use somehow the copper plates of the old book as well. So you've got this combination of these three things that we can make some sort of book together. That would be... Brilliant. And I think the kind of bringing this particular building to life and helping to raise more money to do more restoration work here and people can read this book and then come here and be with you in the kitchen and exactly. then have the dine like a servant. It's, yeah. it's a really nice holistic thing that people could be involved from all different and in the kitchen we've still got the larder to put in there's still shelves to be put in so every time I do something um, either for myself or for the house we've got money we can then put back into the kitchen so we can get another unit or some more knives or another. no every time we, we do something we, we, we invest it back into the kitchen and that's very special and I should say because I haven't talked about all the people that work with me I mean it's not just me anymore mm. um, gradually I've been getting people um, along who want to join in and there's about five or six of us now that cook all down there together. And it's lovely. We, we make pickles, make preserves, we sell. We do, um, set up tea rooms down there as well to raise money. And it's a, quite a community thing now. And people travel and come and see us. That's, it's, yeah, it's lovely. It's, it's what I wanted. And I should mention, I'm back in Holland um, years ago. I, I was involved in the squatters restaurant. That's how I started um, catering for, for large groups of people um, back in the 90s. And basically what I've done is recreate that now. So I've recreated a community kitchen downstairs in the old kitchen. So we've got a whole group of people who they'll get on like a family together, really. Yeah. yeah. In that space. So we've we've made that space living again. It was a dead space for years and years and years, and now it lives. And that is a beautiful end note, I think. Yeah. The Regency Townhouse is amazing. Alex and I have had a ball. Well, Alex has been holding together the nerd in her um, so she doesn't scare poor Paul but it's been amazing and it's you know just been mind-blowing to see the amazing things that you guys are doing so we'll have some show notes and we'll put links to your social channels and your website and all of that sort of fun stuff and we'll see if we can find out a bit more of the books and restaurants we were talking about so that's it thank you so much Paul thank you it's been lovely showing you around as well it's been lovely having you in my kitchen if you enjoyed listening to today's episode with Paul, there are probably quite a few of other episodes that you'll really enjoy, particularly with Emma Kay from the Museum of Kitchenalia and, depending on when it gets released, our episode with Sam Bilton, because she's also a food historian and blogger. We've got so many other amazing stories in the arsenal, so make sure you take a look at thesource.com. We're also on Twitter at, at the source, and you'll find us on any of the platforms that you get your podcasts on and we would love to get your feedback either via email which is hello at at or as a review on one of those platforms and until next time over and out <laughs>